The Academy Awards have been presented every year for the last 89 years, so it's easy to understand how the years can sometimes blend together. Yet, each ceremony finds a way to make its mark on the institution and give the viewers a calling card to remember it by. Sometimes it's by the winners. 1940, the year Hattie McDaniel became the first black Oscar winner. 1969, the year Best Actress was a tie between Barbara Streisand and Katharine Hepburn. Sometimes it's by who doesn't win. 1942, the year Citizen Kane lost to How Green Is My Valley. 1973, the year Bob Fosse beat out Francis Ford Coppola as Best Director. Sometimes the most notable moment has nothing to do with the actual awards at all. 1974, the year a streaker made his way onto the stage. And of course, 2017, the year of Envelope Gate. But in 2001, the most buzzworthy moment happened before most people had even entered the auditorium. As the stars filtered in on the red carpet, Who Are You Wearing soon turned into What Are You Wearing, when Best Song nominee Bjork showed up wearing a swan draped around her neck. Ever the performance artist, Bjork even went as far as to mimic laying an egg on the red carpet. And with that, the headline for the 2001 Oscars was set. Welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the podcast where we re-examine the best picture races of decades past and give ourselves the authority to determine if the Academy got it right. I'm Devin, and this is Kyle. Hello. Now, the Academy Awards of Stun... <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> just, just move on. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please, I continue. Uh, do you want me to start over? No, just continue. Okay. Now, the Academy Awards ostensibly are meant to single out the best in cinema for a given year, but has also been proposed and endorsed by these two hosts that it can take at least 10 years to really determine a film's worth. So with this podcast, we are dedicated to reevaluating every best picture race that is at least 10 years old and discussing which movies did or did not deserve the ultimate prize. Yeah? Yes. Cool. So this year, <laughs> this episode... We're discussing the 2001, the 73rd Academy Awards presented in 2001 to the films from the year 2000. So we're going to take ourselves back to the year 2000. And this, this is an exciting episode for, this is the first episode where we're talking about a year that we were alive in. Oh yeah. And one that I watched. Yeah. Sure too, yeah. So what do you, uh, what do you remember from the year 2000? Uh, what do I, what do I remember <laughs> from the year 2000? Uh, Man, I mean, I started fourth grade. It was great. Fourth grade is fun. No, wait, no, no, no. That would have been, the start of 2000 would have been the second half of fourth grade. Yeah. So, ugh, now all I can think about is my uh, fifth grade teacher, Miss Eckberg. So 2001 was a bad year. I'm actually. sorry. You I don't know anything about Miss Eckberg in my research. say it, too. This is the most recent, probably, this is, yeah, this is like one of the more recent episodes we're going to do for sure that's in the pre-9-11 area, era. Oh, yeah. Um. Which is really interesting. Now I think about it. This is like all these movies existed pre nine eleven, and yeah, and showed like this. The air date of this episode was still months before nine mm-hmm. eleven. Uh, I think that I think that's it's gonna be interesting to see what kind of content goes into this year compared to what happens the following after. year. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. 
Um, some notable things that happened in the year 2001. President Clinton was still our president. Good times. We were in the midst of the dot-com bubble, which I guess was from 1997 to 2001. And it was a period of extreme growth in the usage and adaptation of the internet. Um, and during that period, a lot of businesses started. And then at the end of that period, a lot of them failed. Sure. A lot of them sold, though, too. Made made billionaires and millionaires yeah. and billionaires. So it's, a lot of them lost a large portion of their companies. But then some companies, such as eBay and Amazon, later recovered and surpassed their dot-com bubbles. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of those sites. Oh, they're thriving. I've heard they're a bit popular. Um, on January 12th of 2000, Elian Gonzalez, uh, Attorney General, Janet Reno, ruled that Elian Gonzalez would have to be returned to his father in Cuba. Oh, wow. That was... Wait, wasn't that, like, highlighted in the award ceremony? Was it? Yeah, they made, like, a whole thing about it. It was, like... It was... Like, I remember it being a huge deal. Or was it a documentary later that they then honored? Ah, that could remember. be. I don't know. Um, he was seized and returned to Cuba on June 28th. Okay. And then... Probably the biggest story from the year 2000. See if you remember this one. In the, the year pre- 2000. The presidential election. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, George Bush won. That's air quotes. Well, they can't see those. Well, I'm telling. That's why I'm telling you that there's air quotes. Okay, but you're still making them, which is crazy. Cause I want to make sure you understand. I, okay. <laughs> Cause uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Technically, technically, he did not win the popular vote. And yet he was the president. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Doesn't it? Remember yeah. when we thought the craziest thing that could happen in an election was hanging chads? I don't know what that means. That was like the big thing. Like the reason that the votes in Florida were all messed up was like when you punched through on the voting booth, like the little like piece that came down was called a chat, a hanging oh, chad. okay. That's what. And it like messed up when they were counting gotcha. them, I guess. That's yeah. so long ago. Um, also in the year 2000, Hillary Clinton was elected to the United States Senate, becoming the first first lady of the United States to win public office. Cool. I wanted She's to make still... this intro as depressing as possible. Well, I mean, that's it's probably still her, like, that's not a record broken, right? No, I don't believe any it's of the first lady. not a second first lady. Uh, no. No. No, that's accurate. <laughs> okay. So she's still, she's still the only one. <clears throat> so the year 2000 in film... Probably more appropriate. Probably more appropriate to that. I just wanted to give you some context of the world these movies were coming out yeah. in. So 2000 saw the release of the first installment of many popular film series. Okay. So these are the first ones of these series. X-Men. Shut up. Unbreakable. Wow. Final Destination. Okay. Well, now. <laughs> Big Mama's House. You started strong. Scary Movie. <laughs> Meet the Parents and Bring It On. Wow. Yeah. 2000 guys i just feel like it's crazy because i mean like x-men are still they're still making movies and those started in yeah 2000 oh yeah and like a lot some of the same cast right like hugh yep. jackman is just hugh now Jackman's hanging it up and he was the one of the last remaining cast members besides patrick stewart they're like still making final destination movies too aren't they no i heard they were making a new one i didn't i, I mean i didn't so oh. maybe i didn't can't tell you when the last one came out all right so the top 10 movies of the year also two- big mama's th- house movies are done i don't know if you got that memo i see him all the time on it's, television it's just because martin lawrence is dead though what no he's not dead oh, i was like what are you talking about but see you believe me for a second <laughs> <laughs> so you admit that he has faded into obscurity uh that seems unfair I, that's what you just said so i just i mean i just don't follow his career that doesn't mean that he, no one does is the, is the problem Devin. all right i feel like we're just alienating a lot of martin lawrence fans right now <laughs> are we 
Oh, okay. Okay. So the top 10 movies of the year 2000. Number 10. At the box office. Yes. Not your like personal top 10 list. This is my personal top 10 list. Okay. <laughs> I'm changing the whole point of this podcast. Okay. Number 10. What Lies Beneath. Was the number one movie at the box office? Number 10. I'm sorry, number 10. I worked oh, you did way. say that right before. Yes. You said What Lies Beneath. Yes. <laughs> I do recall this now. Okay. What I think is interesting about What Lies Beneath is like that's like that movie with like Michelle Pfeiffer and... Yeah, wasn't there like a bath Harrison Ford? Yeah. There was like a bathtub. Yeah. But I'm just saying like there was a time when they just made like original adult dramas listen, and they did well. Listen. Do you know I, what I'm saying? I though? love and I respect you, but we are 27 years old. We're not allowed to say that. But it's true. I mean, it is true. Yeah. I'm just saying, why can't they make I mean, movies I like do wish anymore? they still made movies like that too. But like there's a lot of people that rem- like remember it very fondly because they experienced it on a regular basis. I know, but I'm just saying I wish we had like less superheroes and like more Agreed. adult dramas i absolutely agree it is really interesting to see that movie made number 10 i right yes, that's what i was like it was number 10 and that wasn't that long really it wasn't that long ago no 17 years ago no that makes me feel old i want to see i want to see as we move forward in these like where yeah. the box office goes what what year did it really start did we start to see the change was it this year when x-men one of the first yeah. co- comic book you know franchises made it to the big screen i i don't think so but I do think it's that shift later in the decade. So I think so too. I also think it's interesting because you know, on our last episode, we talked about 1951, and in that year, like all of the Best Picture nominees were in the top ten movies. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be interesting to see when that stops, really like when shifting. the yeah, because when the of, Academy went more art house and yeah, you know. But when did that happen? Like in the well, I feel seven? like they always. I feel like that always shifts though. And now yeah. that we have the top ten now, like our. They as many movies nominees. as they yeah. yeah whatever nominees it is like you do see a lot more hollywood f- fare in there but i mean moonlight won best picture and i think like five people saw that movie that's not true that movie made a lot of money at the box office and did not nearly as much as everything else was kelly reichert's uh certain women has made over a million dollars at the box office and that's crazy for that's, her again that's opened in like seven theaters so yeah exactly exa- like right though <laughs> I w- per screen average is honestly sometimes a very interesting yeah find that's um, when i'm like looking at box office stuff and like i scroll down to the bottom and then it's like it was in like 12 theaters and i'm like yeah it only yeah, made like three thousand dollars because like yeah but sometimes like it's in like 12 theaters and it made seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars and it's just like dang like every screening of that sold out because it was yeah a hard movie to see you know for sure um number nine was x-men that just wow. seems kind of low, right? That seems incredibly low, but I don't know what else came out this year, so. Yeah. This, this list is all new to me. Okay. Uh, so number, well, I mean, it's not going to make more sense to you as I go through it. <laughs> number eight was The Perfect Storm. Okay. Number seven was Meet the Parents. Okay. Big comedy from the year. I do love Meet the Parents, honestly. Yeah. Uh, number six, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, totally makes sense. Also, wow, that movie came out in 2000? Yeah. Dang. Number five was Dinosaur, which I guess is a Disney movie that? that I've never heard of. Dinosaur? I've never heard of that. Me either. What is it? It's a Disney movie. I don't know. It's the fifth biggest movie of the year 2000. Hmm. Number four, What Women Want. Oh, my God. Yes. Another Mel Gibson great. Uh, I did. Like, I was a kid. I remember like loving that movie. Yeah, I did too. I've my, not seen it in a while. My mom actually took me to go. Like, I well, she she didn't take me to go see it. She just like I think she had to take me. She was like, I want to see this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like honestly remember thoroughly enjoying it. So it was like ten, eleven at the time. Like, yeah, I really enjoyed that movie, and I watched it several times later too. Yeah, it was like on TV a lot. Yeah. I remember the little girl from Growing Pains was in it. I remember being, and she's like all rebellious. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. This is crazy. <laughs> what have you become? 
Is this uh, what being a teenager's like? <laughs> Number three, Castaway. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. See, what the, that movie would not make no. the top five today. Well, I don't know. People love Tom Hanks. Uh, really? Who doesn't love Tom Hanks? No, I mean, people do love Tom Hanks, but like, I honestly don't think he's doing as well at the box office as you think he would. I thought Sully did well. So, Oh, yeah. Sully was a, Sully was a surprise example in the last. Trust me, Bridge of Spies didn't do that well. That's because it was a terrible um, name. <laughs> what is that about? That other one where he's like a teacher. I don't know. You know what? Let's move what, on. What was the one where he was? There um, was that one where he was in afghanistan or Iraq, like whatever that latest one was oh, he's in the desert somewhere doing something Ex- exactly that's my captain phillips did well okay yes i understand he but he's in more things than just that you know what david I mean? s pumpkins is a cultural phenomenon <laughs> all right anyway <laughs> i just who knows the number two movie of the year 2000 gladiator oh my god i'm gonna say it like that every time just just so people know i've been dealing with this like all week she uh elizabeth taylor says gladiator once like that surprisingly at the golden globes and devon somehow it's an iconic that. moment that i think well, everyone yeah. knows without you having to explain it do do really yes. i had no idea thought, look guys if you haven't seen it go look up elizabeth taylor at the golden globes if presenting re- gladiator because yeah. if you don't remember the 2000 golden globes when elizabeth it was, taylor read gladiator then no i have to explain so like in my family like when we watched the golden globes we thought it was hysterical and like from that moment on that's the only way we've ever said gladiator yeah. like, gladiator okay. so thank you for explaining your inside joke to us do i need to now explain inside jokes to you no but i'm just explaining <laughs> i think it's funny i think the viewers love it <laughs> and i'm sticking with it yeah no that's all you that's fine. all right the number one movie of the year 2000 Mission Impossible 2. Oh, two? Two. I, I didn't realize that movie was as big as it was. It was the biggest. Is this, is this worldwide box office? Yes. Because it was, I think, if I recall correctly, it's made by um, John Woo. Oh, really? Set in some set in some exact location, which may be Asia. But regardless, I bet it did really well in China. Yeah, uh, probably. I mean, action movies usually do. And I think they love Tom Cruise, too. Who doesn't? Um, that's true. That's well, very me, well, well, Anna, but you're crazy. <laughs> um, no, that's really interesting, though. Very cool. Yeah. Mission Impossible 2. Local Rockford band was on that soundtrack. Really? Who? Yeah, the Cheap good, Trick? The Goodyear Pimps. No. Oh. No, actually, yeah, not the good. <laughs> no, no, not, not the famous Rockford band. Uh, oh, okay. But, uh, yeah. Right from Rockford, Illinois, people, Google it. If you've ever been to Wisconsin from Illinois, you've definitely passed You us. know. You know what Rockford is. You don't need to Google Oh, it. yeah. We're, like, on a lot of lists right now, so. Not nice ones. Not, no, not the good kind. But, yeah, Cheap Trick is from here. Not, so. like, seven places to visit in the Midwest. No, it's, like, most miserable cities. Yeah, like, <laughs> crime rates skyrocketing. Yep. Where? Yeah. Anyway. Rockford. Yeah um film debuts these are people that made their very first movies in the year 2000 in the year 2000 paul dano chris evans dano is it no oh chris <laughs> evans topher grace in traffic that was his very first film role that's interesting mm-hmm. obviously he'd been on television before that um chris pratt wow who also had been on television but this was his first movie zoe saldana and uh, Carrie Washington cool. all, all made their film debuts. Excellent. Yep. People still pretty relevant today. Exactly. Well, it wasn't that long ago. So. Okay. I didn't name the people that aren't relevant anymore. That's true. <laughs> all right. So the awards. There were... 
Here's some notable fun facts. About what? About the 73rd Academy Awards. Cool. Um, Gladiator became the first film to win Best Picture without a directing or screenwriting win since 1949's All the King's Men. That's, that's really interesting. But did you realize you didn't say Gladiator? Um, do you, okay, let's take it back. We're going to edit and then we'll... I'm not going to do it. Okay. Oh. Uh, did, I, did I hurt your feelings? No, it's fine. I hurt your feelings. I mean, I'm going to say it more. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. Best director winner, Steven Soderbergh, who received nominations for both Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, for which he won, was the third person to receive double directing nominations in the same year. The two previous directors were Frank Lloyd for in 1929 and Michael Kuritz in 1938. So he was certainly the most contemporary director. Michael who? Kuritz. What did he direct? Angels with Dirty Faces and Four Daughters. Huh, okay. In 1938. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, it happened in 1929, it happened in 1938, and then it happened, and then it in, happened in 2001. Because I really feel like back in the day, they turned out movies so fast, but I think it's like super rare to be able to get two movies out in the same year. Yeah, now. like I know Soderbergh works fast like lately, but like, was this the case where those two movies were made in like. From what I read in the research, like he was work- working with the screenwriter for Traffic, and they did an outline together. Like, right before he went off to shoot Aaron Brockovich. And then when he got back from shooting Aaron Brockovich, he was like, I finished the script for Traffic. Like, he wrote it super fast. Okay. And they were like, okay, let's just do it. So, he made him, like, back to back. Wow. And that's the first movie he actually acted as DP on as Mm -hmm. well. Um, Which, it's really bold. A lot of bold choices. That's really interesting, though. I didn't didn't exactly know the story with that. Because, yeah, you do not see a lot. Although, he has been known to release two things in the same year. Yeah. He works. He does. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon became the third film nominated simultaneously for Best Picture and Best Foreign Language Film in the same year. Moreover, its ten nominations were the most for a foreign language film. With four wins, the film tied with Fanny and Alexander as the most awarded foreign language film in Academy Awards history. We'll get to your thoughts on that film later. <laughs> yeah. Just telling you facts right now. Yeah, no. Just hope you didn't want some like kind of response. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, due to River Phoenix's Best Supporting Actor nomination for Running on Empty in 1988, Joaquin Phoenix and River became the first pair of brothers to earn acting nominations. Cool. The biggest upset of the night was Marsha Gay Harden. Mar- I can't talk. Marsha Gay Harden beating out odds-on favorite Kate Hudson for Best Supporting Actress. Um, her performance, she hadn't won a single award for that performance at any of the leading up. Like, she didn't uh-huh. win the Golden Globes, the SAG Awards, or the BAFTAs, which usually... For what performance? She was in Pollock. Okay. And that was, like, one of her first movies, you, I guess. You, you you said you messed up Marsha Gay Harden, but you said Marsha Gay Harden the first time. Did I? Yeah. I feel like I said it wrong. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had a lot coming up. I think so. But, uh, no, you, you, you said... We can, listen, we can listen back to the tape, but... Uh, but it's interesting. So, like, because, I mean, usually, you know, in the awards leading up to the Academy Awards, it's kind of, like... If you win this one, it's like more likely that you're going to win the Oscar. Yeah. But for Best Supporting Actress, like a different person won every single one of those awards. But none wow. of them were Marsha Gay Harden, you know? That's crazy. Though. So like Kate Hudson won the Golden Globe. Judy Dench won the SAG Award. And Julie Walters won the BAFTA. And then Marsha Gay Harden won the Oscar. That's crazy. Yeah, I've, n- I've never, I can't recall anything like no, that. No, not weird. Happening. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, So films that had multiple nominations. Um... Gladiator had the most with 12. Okay. And then Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon had 10. 
Chocolat, Aaron Brockovich, and Traffic each had five. Almost Famous had four. Okay. And then movies that won multiple awards, Gladiator won five, and Crouching Tiger and Traffic each won four. Wow. Mm -hmm. So really, actually, the best on that list was the four out of five for Traffic. Rather than the that's true, four yeah. out of ten and the five out of twelve, right? That's true. Okay. That's a very fair point. Yeah, <laughs> like traffic really took home some of the top. Traffic pretty much won everything. It was nominated for except for best, best film. picture. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So, what could you have the information right in front of you of what it was awarded? So it won um, best director. Right, and this is the mic. Sorry, I was turning to look at the list. It won best director, um, best adapted screenplay. Um. Benicio Del Toro won for Best Supporting Actor. Okay, cool. And then what was the fourth one? Hold on, let me look real quick. Best uh, Editing, maybe? No, I don't think, because that would have been Soderbergh winning an award, I think. So. Yeah, it was Best Editing. It was? Yep. Who won? Steven Maroney. Okay, no, so someone else did edit okay. that. That wasn't Soderbergh at the time. Then. So uh, just for the audience to know, like Soderbergh is probably one of my favorite directors, if not my favorite. And uh, some little bias when it comes towards him, but um, so if I don't know if I try to sound if I sound like I'm asking questions about him or whatever, it's just because I am very interested in his career and that's true. I came up with like fun facts, you know, for his movies, but you probably know them. I mean, I you've already said one of them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like what? That uh, it. whatever. You will we'll get, get to, we'll get it. to it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's start talking about the nominated films. First up, we have Chocolat by. Lasse Holstrom is probably not correct. Yeah, I, would, I would put money on it. He is Swedish, though. Okay. I think that sounded sweet. It's probably not Lassie. It's <laughs> L-A-S-S-E. I can't tell okay. you what it would be, though. So <laughs> let's just go with Lassie. Okay. Um, so the synopsis. A woman and her daughter open chocolate shop in a small French village that shakes up the rigid morality of the community. Uh, some fun facts about it which were very hard to find. Not a lot of fun facts about this movie. Um, it's based on a novel of the same name by Joanne Harris. Mm. Mm, fun. Um, it is. So this film was produced by Miramax, which was headed by the Weinstein brothers. It's produced by Miramax? Yes. What did I say? No, I mean, I was just surprised. That's, I figured it was just like distributed by, but. So we'll get into this more probably in later episodes about harvey weinstein's um methods of promoting his films for awards <laughs> but this movie is kind of lumped into his kind of like repertoire as an example although not the most gregarious of miramax and harvey weinstein's aggressive campaigning paying off in an unlikely nomination um i looked up i found a usa today article that was published in march of 2001 by Andy Sealer, where it said, the boisterous honcho says that Miramax's marketing campaign cost the same or less than those of the other Best Picture nominees, but it did include such eyebrow-raising moves as a newspaper ad in which Jesse Jackson and Abraham Foxman of the Anti-Defamation League praised the film. Weinstein even flew to Washington, D.C. to convince USA Today that a randomly chosen audience would love the film. They did. So it I mean, is like lumped into there. I don't think it's like the worst example of it, but lumped into where of like Harvey Weinstein, assen like what essentially buying nominations is oh. what they charge him with. Do you know what I mean? Sure. I don't think this is the worst example of it, but I do think it is maybe an example of it. 
Yeah, I think he's right when he says, though, that, like, a random audience would like this movie. Because that's what this movie is. Oh, that was nice. Right. That was nice. That's all I got to say about that movie. Yeah, see, that's just it. Like, I enjoyed it. I, um, you know, I thought it was sweet. And I thought it was, like, fun. Was, I didn't, like, it, hate watching it, you know. I enjoyed the time we spent watching the movie. It was, it was fine. It was fine. But I also don't know if it is like a movie that would be nominated for Best Picture. No. Too. I mean, especially in a year when I think there were some it would more be, deserving movies. In 1938, maybe. Like, I was so... Like, and I'm not trying to like talk shit about older movies. But it's just... This movie is just so nice. Like, I don't know what to say. It's. I know. I feel like conflicted, though, because I feel like a lot of times I get so annoyed with like typical oscar bait movies yeah sure getting nominated i'm like what why can't there be anything like just fun or nice or blah blah, blah. and then like something fun and nice gets nominated and i'm like oh eh, nice just, you know you said this is based on a book mm-hmm. and this is honestly truly a story that i don't think we ever needed to see on the screen i don't know what the point in making it a visual story did for it it's probably yeah. an odd yeah it's a it's a nice little story sure but like i don't understand why it needed to be anything more than the novel or novella it was like you know the i really did enjoy it and i remember like in we're talking about years this is a year that we were both alive but like of these nominees there'd only been one that i hadn't seen already and i remember when i first saw chocolate like i loved it i was also like deep into a johnny depp phase but like yeah <laughs> and i, I get it. that i do get that i mean yeah well i did love this movie that it like reminded me why i loved him because like right now he's making it very hard for me to remember that <laughs> yeah but like just watching this, I was like, yes. Oh, I just, I find myself very bored. Again, really, it's a, it's a nice yes. I wasn't bored. I was, did not really care for this movie. I laughed a little bit. There are certainly some funny parts. I don't understand why. Uh, there's a million different nationalities playing other nationalities. It was uh, like a joint production of like France and. But there's America like one something. French person. There's a bunch of English people. Well, like, yeah, like the director's Swedish. Like a bunch of them are Swedish. And yeah, like, I d- there's well, a lot. Yeah, it was, it was a cluster of there's like, like one French person. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, why do we have to make th- this movie is very much a classic movie, and in that in that way too of casting. Whereas like, why can't we at least we can make this you know this totally nice movie you know like old kind of Hollywood style movie, and then but. Why can't we at least then just cast to, you know, ethnicity or cast? You know, why does it's basically. Oh, well, that's going to be a theme of this Oscars. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so true, actually. All right. <laughs> but it's just it's so it's so apparent to me because everybody is so different. And we're all supposed to believe they're all in this French town and these are the outsiders. Like, you're all fucking outsiders. Like, I don't you know what I mean? Right. Like all of them had like varying degrees of yeah, French accents. I didn't and, like, feel like I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't feel it the way I think we wanted to. That's what I'm saying. It's like probably such a nice little cafe read of a book mm-hmm. and such a, you know, a book you want to pass down, maybe recommend to your friends or your kids or whatever. But as a movie, I don't, I don't here's, know why it exists. Here's the problem that I had. The, like, I really did enjoy this movie. I'm not going to say like, it's a bad movie. I'm not going to say that like, I wouldn't recommend it to people because I would, because I think that people, most everyone would enjoy it. Like uh, if you're really bored and you need to watch something, here's it's your you're, you're really like underselling it. It's not that bad. Yeah, I am under. There's nothing to sell. Like it's so. I surface mean, if you value. enjoy pretty locales, like the setting is gorgeous. Uh, Julia Binoche is gorgeous. Johnny Depp is gorgeous. Like if you like looking at pretty things and pretty chocolate, 
and heartwarming tales it's really <laughs> then i think you would enjoy this movie but here's the thing that I think would make it better. It's like I hated okay. the ending so much because the ending is so like, oh, I'm going to change everything that I am and just settle down here. And this gypsy man is just going to come live with me, too. And he's going to completely change who he is. Yeah. Like what? Like the whole thing was supposed to be like her like maternal lineage is that they go from town to town, like helping people through the power of chocolate. Yes. So, like, I'm sorry that your daughter doesn't like moving around. I'm sure you didn't like moving around when you were her age, but you still did it. And that's your freaking point. And I just think it would have been, like, a stronger movie to me if they had left at the end and gone somewhere else to give them a chocolate shop. I agree. I thought, I I absolutely agree. I think it would have been more interesting to see, like, oh, man, now they're going to go have another adventure. And they're going to meet a new excellent cast of characters. And they're going to change these people's lives forever. Yes. They're constantly going to make things better. Yes. I think think you're absolutely right. I think it's preposterous to say like, and I like, I like. In fact, I bet the novel does do that. I would be interested to see that if they just to like change the ending to be like a Hollywood. Harvey's like, no, you can't do that. I don't know what Harvey. I don't think it's like that. (laughs) I don't think that's what he sounds like. It's probably like fucking, fucking. You can't fucking, fucking do that. You fucking shit. Fucking, fucking, fucking. You gotta end it. Fucking, like I've been fucking happy. That's fucking money. Oscars. I think you're just thinking of like Ari Emanuel. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I just feel like her character. It was such like an interesting character. If here's this woman in the nineteen, what, is it the fifties or the sixties? Whatever it was, like mid-century woman who is just like I'm gonna live the life I want and go where I want to and do what I want to. And that's who I am. But then at the end, she's just like, oh, and I'm going to settle down with this man. Yeah, she just needed a man in her life. But it's like, and he's not the kind of man who would settle down either. Like, no, that was the whole it makes no sense. And that's why they were drawn to each other in the first place. Yes. It doesn't. They're two people who go in the direction of the wind. Like, it's very. Right. Literally. He goes on a boat. Yes. And she, when and the wind she, blows, she yeah, leaves. She goes, <laughs> suddenly, I guess all wind stops in this French town. I mean. And they're just going to, you know, he's going to fix things for her the rest of You know, I want the, the, the chocolat too. Yes. <laughs> where Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. We're two weeks in to them being settled down. They're like, fuck this. You're right. Wait, we need to get out of here. Right. They're like two weeks in. They're like, I hate this. Never mind. You take take my recipes. Peace. Have, enjoy your town. Yeah. Because that's, okay. that's, anyway. that's the realistic ending to this magical story of how chocolate solves all problems. Yeah. I'm sorry. This movie's okay. All right. Well, do you want to know what other people think about it? Quickly. I'll do it at the pace I wish. <laughs> Uh, so the Rotten Tomatoes audience score is 83%. Critic score of 63%. That seems low. Okay. Appropriately. Um, There's really no like rankings for American Film Institute nominated for 100 Passions, which was their list of greatest love stories, and for their list of the 25 best film scores, but it didn't make either one. Um, And then it made... So why did we even mention that? Well, because I mentioned it for everybody. Just okay. Like <laughs> okay um box office made about 1.5 mil okay so that must be us alone yes that's just us okay um so moving on let's talk about our first steven soderbergh entry okay aaron brockovich all right synopsis an unemployed single mother becomes a legal assistant and almost single-handedly brings down a california power company accused of polluting a city's water supply Here's some fun facts about the film. Julia Roberts received an unprecedented salary for her lead role, making her the first woman to break the $20 million barrier. 
The real Erin Brockovich Ellis actually got sick from the chromium poisoning she was investigating. But Steven Soderbergh decided to leave that out of the film as it would make Erin out to be too much of a martyr. Um, the amazing car crash in the opening sequence was done by digitally compose, compositing. I can't read. Uh, digitally compositing shots of Julia Roberts taking off with her car in a radio controlled car being hit by a stunt driver. That was like a really awesome shot. I loved that. I was like, how did they do that? Yeah, that was impressive. That's why I included that. And then this is the thing you so already they mentioned. they digitally composed it? Yeah, they digitally composed it. <laughs> okay. They digitally decomposed the shot mm-hmm. so that we wouldn't, you know, Julia Roberts was safe. She was not in that car. Yeah, because they used the digital decomposing of the radio car to get hit by the actual. Okay. This is the fun fact you already mentioned, but this was the last film that Steven Soderbergh did not shoot himself. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, you know, I do think it's interesting. Like the thing about um, <clears throat> her actually getting sick, but then he didn't put it in yeah, the movie. Yeah, that is Because towards the end, I guess he shot some scenes of her in the hospital and then decided not to use it. Okay. And I do think like towards the end, like when she was sick, she was like sick. And she didn't come in because she wasn't feeling well. Oh, yeah. And like I thought that was because I was like, oh, did she get the poisoning too? Then I was like, well, I guess it was just like a cold or something. Yeah. I wonder if that was part of it. You know? Yeah, I bet it was. I bet it absolutely was. Because they obviously, so it's, sometimes it's hard to delete a whole subplot. Right. Still get tidbits. All right. So, Steven Soderbergh, super fan. What are your thoughts yeah. on Aaron Brockovich? First, I want to tell the story that I just told you earlier this week about I had a screenwriting teacher in college who was reading scripts for an agency at this time, around this time rather, and across her desk came Aaron Brockovich. And she said it was the most boring script she'd ever read. She wrote notes about how the company should pass on it, and they ended up passing. I don't, I don't know which company she worked for, um, but she said like at best it could be like an okay lifetime movie. So clearly, I think either it went through some rewrites. Soderbergh had some notes. Obviously, I don't think she expected, you know, the likes of Julia Roberts or Albert mm-hmm. Finney to get a hold of the material, but. Regardless of how basic maybe the script may have seemed, these performances are really what drives this film. Yeah, I because re- I mean, you. I think it's pretty easy to see. You're like, oh, here's this movie about legal, a class action lawsuit about water pollution. Yeah, like that sounds incredibly dull. Like I can see how reading that mm-hmm. might not be the most exciting thing in the world. Or two, we've seen, and maybe she just thought, you know, oh, it's another single mother struggling to, you know, raise the kids or whatever. Like, She's oh, like we already have Silkwood. Exactly. We've, we've seen, uh, we've seen Meryl Streep do this before. We've mm-hmm. seen, you know, countless times, but. I mean, she's doing this while also like saving our, you know, hundreds of people's lives and like mm-hmm. benefiting, you know, in a different, in a different take. And uh, I thought a very powerful, very powerful, very like inspiring story. Yeah, um, I would agree. And relevent to this day. Like right now, I'm just yes. I couldn't help but watch and thinking about the people in Flint, Michigan. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, exactly. And it's just I don't know. It's it's really, really tough stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, because I'm like, oh, this corporation, you know, was, like, forced to pay all this money and, like, help them, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, the government does it in Flint, and no one's forced them to pay any money yet, you know what yeah. I mean? And they still haven't even fixed the water, so. Exactly. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that, because it's supposed to be a fun I, But honestly, I think it's I think it's a very well-done movie. I don't think it's one of Soderbergh's best movies. I was surprised to see he was, uh, you know, 
obviously I think he got the directing nod in this film for the performances, which is primarily what a director is there to do. Mm-hmm. However, I just don't think other than that, that it's, the, it's necessarily the most interesting movie. I think it's, I think it's powerful. I am, but I am genuinely uh, surprised outside of the performances. I don't think this movie would be best picture material. That's interesting. I can kind of see that. Um, you know, I think in general, like, and this isn't, I'm not trying to sound like shady on the nominees or whatever, but I kind of think this is kind of a weak year in general for best picture nominees. Okay. Um, and so I think maybe that's why we're seeing some movies that normally we wouldn't see nominated for best picture nominated. But, um, I really loved it. Like I saw this movie, I didn't see it in theaters when it came out. I think I saw it later. Like we rented it, but I remember I liked it. But then rewatch, I mean, like, I was probably still, you know, like, 12 or something when I saw this movie. And I loved it so much more this time because, obviously, I think now I, like, understood a lot more of it than I could have when I was a child. Sure, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I just think it's great. And, like, the thing, you know, right now, um, there's going to be a delay from when we're recording these to when we're posting them. But, like, right now, Wonder Woman has just come out and there's, like, all this, like badass females and blah 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 and i do think wonder woman is great and i'm all about badass females and in general like i'm actually happy that these nominees have a lot of badass females in them the films but what i love about aaron brockovich in particular is that like i think a lot of times when people decide like what makes a female badass it's by attributing male characteristics traditionally male characteristics onto her like oh she can kick ass and oh she can be super tough or she'd be whatever but what i love about this is that she was she wasn't doing, she was just being smart and she was being compassionate and she was using like her, like she was a woman, you know what I mean? Like She's it, using her femininity. Yeah. Using her femininity, but not in a way that was like exploiting it really. Well, no, that's well, not true. A little bit, but, but like. Exploiting it to the, like with what a woman can do. It's not, it's not in a bad, like it's, you can't take it in a bad way. But I do think, I mean, that's She's like just, a minor part of it. I think like the main thing of what made her so successful and what she was doing was how compassionate she was. She cared about these people yeah. so much. And that's what, like, drove her to, like, almost, like, sacrifice her own family in a way to save them. I don't think, I honestly don't think a man could have done what Aaron Brockovich did. Right. I truly don't. I think it took that woman. I think it took that woman to be exactly the woman she was mm-hmm. to get all this shit done and get these people on the right side and to get them the information they needed. You know, everything she did do throughout the course, the course of the movie and, of course, the actual events. Yes. I don't think anyone, I don't think another, you know gender could have done what Aaron Brockovich did. I think it took her, right. it took her femininity in all aspects mm-hmm. to really get this job done and do the best for these people in California. Absolutely. And that's what I'm, like, I just love that she was the strong female character, but she wasn't like sacrificing her femininity. She wasn't like, yeah. she didn't have to kick anyone's ass or like, be, I mean, she was tough obviously, but like but yeah, she, was she was a, a mother too. And she was, yeah, yeah. Like she was survivor, you know? Yeah. And I do want to point out too, that the real Aaron Brockovich has said that she never intentionally used her boobs to gain access oh, okay. at that, the water that, plant. So. Oh, so, so me, well that, that was what I was referring to. <laughs> yes, I know. It's fine. It's fine. No, I know. She's, she's saying that she did not do that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's it. That is interesting. But yeah, I don't really have much to say about Aaron Brockovich. Again, I think it's full powerful performances. But I do think yeah, it's, I would agree that it's it's among the weaker. I do think too. Like I don't remember a lot of it because again, I was a kid when I saw it. But I, the scene with uh, Marge Helgenberg, the who plays the mom, the girl like the lady who has cancer and stuff, it's like me, the first person she goes and talks to. Okay, I didn't know if you knew who I was talking about. 
Anyway, like scene where she's like explaining to her that the water is contaminated and like it, that that's the reason that they're sick. And she's like taking it in and she just like jumps up and like goes and gets her kids out of the pool. Yeah. Like that scene has always stayed with me even sure. when I was a kid because it's just like I think her performance in that was amazing. My favorite thing, like, if, I mean, it, it's such the opposite of what you said. It's more of like because I what I love about Soderbergh is I love how he tells stories a mm-hmm. little bit differently. He's always kind of approaching filmmaking in a, in a different way. Where this movie opens up, she's in a job interview. You already know she's, like, struggling. She has these really shitty answers to these really uh, normal questions. And you're just like, oh, she's done for. It doesn't even show the guy. It stays on her in a close-up. doesn't even show the guy interviewing for the longest time. And then, you know, she basically gets the feeling that this isn't going to go well. And then it just cuts into her smoking a cigarette outside the place, defeated. And then that's when the job or the the car accident comes in mm-hmm. right after that. I think it is like one of the best series of like a scene in general that I've ever like seen. I just I love everything about it. I I love without without us having to explain why she's not qualified for the job. You know, she just knows. We know that this is probably the sixth interview she's had in the last week and they've all gone the same route at at this point. And I just I love stuff like that. I think that's the prime example of why Julia Roberts kills it in this movie. Yes, which she did win the Oscar for, which I think was very much deserved because I exactly. think she gave an incredible performance. For sure. And also Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, he's, he's good. I just love that he was in it. I like did not remember that at oh, all. Oh, because yeah, I mean. I mean, who was he at that point? I don't he became <laughs> relevant for many years after. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, 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 that is interesting. So how did, how did uh, Aaron Brockovich fare amongst critics? Well, the Rotten Tomatoes. The Rotten Tomatoes audience score gave it an 80%, critic score of 84%. Um, AFI rankings, Aaron Brockovich was ranked number 31 on their list of heroes and villains. Uh, she was a hero. She was ranked <laughs> uh, number 73 on their list of 100 Cheers, which was inspirational movies. Cool, cool. And it was nominated for the list of 100 best quotes for the for line. What? They're called Boobs, Ed. Oh, okay. Um, and at the box office, it made $256.3 million. Wow. So, yeah, did well. Cool. You want to stay on this Steven Soderbergh train to talk about traffic? Yeah, sure. All right. This is the synopsis from IMDb for traffic, directed by Steven Soderbergh. A conservative judge is appointed by the president to spearhead America's escalating war against drugs, only to discover that his teenage daughter is a crack addict. Two DEA agents protect an informant. A jailed drug baron's wife attempts to carry on the family business. Which that actually just like ignores one of the major plot yeah, lines. Yeah, ignores Harvey, Harvey ever now. Uh, Benicio del Toro. Benicio del Toro's stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really bad synopsis. You know, IMDb does the best they can. You know what um, I mean? Yeah, it's really, there's kind of four stories going on throughout this movie, but they both. They're all. They're all connected. connected yeah. They're all connected. It's basically about the beginning to the end of a drug trade. Um, and and uh, I, don't, I don't really know what to say. That's, I mean, that's a good synopsis. That's basically, like, I mean, it's just, it's the different stories, like one taking place in Tijuana uh, with the trafficking across the border. Then there's there's the guy who gets the drugs across the border and distributes them. There's his guy who's going to rat on him for, uh, and then there's DEAJ agents that are involved in the U S side that are involved in this criminal case. So it's basically, we're seeing this heroin from, Oh, I'm sorry. And then there's the, the teenage daughter who's using it. Yes. So we're seeing 
basically everything besides this drug getting made, we're kind of seeing how it uh, is infiltrated into the U.S. and its effects on our drug war. Yes. Um, the film is an adaptation of the 1989 British Shuttle 4 television series, Traffic with a K. Um, Benicio Del Toro is one of only six actors to have won an Academy Award for a part spoken mainly in a foreign language. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, he hardly speaks English in this movie. Yeah, it's, hardly at all. That, that story is almost completely subtitled. Mm-hmm. And for realism purposes, Steven Soderbergh insisted that all of the Mexican sequences be in Spanish. But Benicio Del Toro did not speak Spanish. What? He was born in Puerto Rico, but he was raised in the U.S. And he had to learn Spanish specifically for this role. Shut the fuck up. Which is crazy because then he stars in Che, which is also completely in Spanish. Yeah. So Soderbergh is just like, Soderbergh's like, you're speaking Spanish. Just deal with it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, dude. Hey, you've been practicing? He came back to him 10 years later. You've been practicing? Uh, Because I need you to play a very famous uh, South American. (laughs) So um, that's, wow. That is the most interesting fact I think I've heard on this podcast. You want to hear another? I have some more. They're as interesting as that. Why? Why even hear it? Oh. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Well, here's the time. So, uh, Benicio del Toro became the second male Puerto Rican to win an Academy Award. The first was Jose Ferrer, who won in 1951, which is the year our previous episode was about. And his son, Miguel Ferrer. Oh, shut Was in traffic. Up. That, and rest in peace. He just died recently. Yes, he did. Rest in peace. That is wow. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That is wow. That's another. That's another pretty interesting fact. I'm, I'm glad I found know. some traffic facts you didn't killing, know. Killing it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Here's something I found interesting. Last one. Okay. The film has 135 speaking parts. Holy shit. Was shot in over 110 locations in eight different cities. In how many days? Four. <laughs> No, that's something. Uh, I don't know what the shooting this is. is definitely one of his bigger ventures, in my, in my opinion. But that is yeah. something like he's just kind of over the years, and this is his first again. This is his first time as director and cinematographer in, mm-hmm. in a big movie. Um, he's really nailed that getting getting movies shot in like faster times, like really well. Like he did, I think the record he did the entire Nick season two in seventy one days. Wow. Yeah. That's at that's least what, like, 10, 10 hours. hours. Yes. And that's what oh, two months. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and he edits while he works too. So he's not, he's not just going home at the end of the day. You know what I mean? They, they do such quick setups. So, and this, this movie, obviously judging by the feel of it, regardless, like there's no way he moved at the speed he does now with it, but it's very quick and dirty. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of get that vibe from it besides, you know, it's the hand, it's the handheld uh, camera work mm-hmm. um, primarily. Right. Clearly, there's a big use of natural light. That's why we get the, the tints we do throughout the four stories. It's 100% natural light. It's 100% natural mm-hmm. light? See, that's that's fascinating. Um, and on 35 millimeter film, too, for the time, you know, that not a lot of people did that. So right. uh, I do find that very interesting and big undertaking, and he certainly deserved the nomination and win yeah. for this film. I'd agree with that. Um, I forgot what I was going to say about it. Now, this was the only movie that I had not seen before. You'd seen it before, though, multiple times. Yes. Um, you've already said that you liked it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I like this movie very much. Would you... Um, it's not like your favorite Steven Soderbergh movie. No. Okay. no, no, no. Do you think it's his best movie? No, I don't think it's the movie he's directed the best, no. 
But it, it's the only movie he's won for, right? Yes. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. What movie do you think he directed better? Um, I mean, even... It's, I mean, that's a really tough question. I just don't think, like, this is his best movie. To, so to say that it's his best direction, I think, is incorrect. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I say, like, every movie I think he's a fantastic director on. Right. But <laughs> I just don't know if this was his best. I I think it was a very seminal work, you know, because he, he obviously got big in 1989 off of Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Mm-hmm. But then he basically had a downfall where his, like, oh, really? the public wasn't aware of a lot of his movies. The critics hardly saw him. But he came back in 98 with Out of Sight. Mm-hmm. which out of sight i think is a better movie than this one really i do like out of sight. but i don't think he could have made this movie without having out of, out of sight obviously you know mm-hmm. what i mean like out of sight out of sight is probably the reason why a lot of people came to work with him for this movie mm-hmm. i think a lot of people saw it a lot of people really dug it a lot of the actually some of his actors that are in that are in this he as well he uses a lot of actors he does because obviously people like working with him and he also did the limey um in between um out of sight and these two films this year uh which is another just it's, a, it's an exercise in editing and cinematography as well because i know he didn't shoot that one but he, he did use all natural light as well with that one um i don't know though i mean you know i just it's like asking what my favorite movie is i when i talk okay. about Soderbergh, i just i really just enjoy his whole body as a whole uh i don't think even though he was nominated for best director and this movie's nominated for best picture i don't think it is his crowning achievement in his career Okay, that's interesting. I um, I really, really liked this movie. I thought it was obviously very good. I thought it was, um, I don't know, I thought it was interesting. I do think, like, Soderbergh really obviously has shown, like, an affinity for managing huge ensemble. Like, this was probably the biggest ensemble cast he's ever had. Yeah, but, I mean. For sure. I just think he's so good at telling stories, like, all these people. And, like this cast has such a deep bench like no matter how far down like small <laughs> parts you go like these are yeah. good recognizable actors or people you might not even realize at the time yeah but you go back and watch this now it's like wow these people became real right like he knew you know yeah. what do you like it's just great you can pick them um so here's like my question to you about it so like the way that the movie ends like the way each of the storylines are kind of wrapped up uh-huh. have like a very positive feel you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, but then it seems to me like, I think the more telling thing, like in one of the last scenes right before, um, Miguel Ferrer's character dies, like he's basically saying like your whole job is pointless. Like none of this matters. Like the drug trade is going to continue going like yeah. no matter what, which I think is true. So like, I was just like thinking about that. Like, how do you marry that ending where, you know, like the girl is getting, um, help with her addiction mm-hmm. and, you know, Don Cheadle is still trying to investigate these people and um, Benicio Del Toro has gotten lights for the baseball field. Yes. Which all feels very positive, but I mean, the drugs are going to continue to be sold. Yeah, I think, see, that's actually, that's, I really like that ending choice. Um, I'm really surprised that everyone ends positively, but I think the real thing is like, listen, you are all still in for more shit. Mm-hmm. Like life's not good after the end of this movie. But the reason you keep doing what you're doing is because of moments like this. Mm-hmm. And that this is what we're watching. So it's him getting the lights for his baseball field. It's um, Michael Douglas seeing his daughter, you know, achieve. Because, again, she doesn't say, like, oh, I want to thank everybody because, you know, I'm going to make it through. 
yeah. No, she says, I'm going to make it through today. Yeah. Because you, you got to just take one day at a time. So Benicio Del Toro, he's going to be in a, for a lot of shit probably, right? Yeah. But he got the lights for the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she did this. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones, like, she's back with her husband. She's fine. But Don Cheadle plants a bug under his desk. Right. And, and so, you know, he's got more work to do. His job is not done. Mm-hmm. But he also got that bug under the desk. So he's, you know, moving forward. And then, um, what was the last one? That was it. That, that was really it. Right, covered yeah. it. So I think it's, yeah, I think the whole point of it is, like, yeah, after this two hour, two and a half hour movie ends, like the story's not done. Mm-hmm. But you know that there are like bright moments, even when exactly. it's a terrible situation. All the exactly, way through. it's how we handle. It's how they handled, you know, the events. Absolutely. Because drugs is just drugs is just a war. You're not. No one's yeah, gonna win. Drugs are here to stay. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, whatever. But. Okay, that's interesting. I'm on drugs. <laughs> oh, that's later. That's later. Um, is there anything else you want to talk to about traffic about? No. Okay. Um, I recommend it. See it. Yeah, I really do think like if you haven't seen it, see it. I think it's really great. I did kind of find that like I get, I guess that he did the color thing to like differentiate between the stories. I kind of found it a little distracting. Okay. I, didn't, I felt like it was like overdone a little bit. Yeah. Especially I, uh, the blue. This is probably the least I've liked it. Now, you know, I, I mean, yeah. this is, I think it is the first time I've honestly seen this movie, movie on like a HDTV. Oh, okay. And I think that hurt it. Having it like, because we watched it on a 480p DVD mm-hmm. on a 1080p TV. Yeah. I think there might have been some loss of information there. Like, that's true. It might look better in true HD. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I did feel like it was really harsh as well. But, it, you know. Yeah, I don't want to say it. I, it's an interesting concept. Check it out. See if you like it for yourself. Yeah, I did. I would say I liked the yellow for the Mexico stuff. Yeah, I just thought the blue was kind of overdone. But sure. All right. So Rotten Tomatoes audience score of eighty five percent, critic score of ninety two percent. Um, it's got no standout rankings really, and at the box office, it made two hundred seven point five million. Nice. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to talk about. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon by Ang Lee. Synopsis. A young Chinese warrior steals a sword from a famed swordsman and then escapes into a world of romantic adventure with a mysterious man in the frontier of the nation. So once again, IMDb doesn't know what a movie is about. (laughs) That is a really poor description. I mean, that happens. Not really, actually. That escape thing is a flashback. So... (laughs) Yeah. Um, how would you Okay. So here's the thing. I don't know how I could give a synopsis better than that because I don't really understand what was going on in that movie. <laughs> um, cuz a lot was going on. I just felt like it was everything was like we're going to stand here and just state exposition for 3 minutes <sighs> and now we're going to have a fight scene. And now yeah. we're going to do some like there the exposition was so poorly done in my opinion. It was just like oh, I have been training for years at this place and blah, blah, blah. And like, and we have been friends for so long and now we can't say our true feelings about it. Like, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> show uh, us, don't tell us. Right? Uh, wow. I, I'm dumbfounded by this movie um, because maybe it was a great movie in China. I don't understand why it was nominated for Best Picture. I never really cared before I found out we had to watch it. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, I remember seeing it when I was younger as well, but, like, I thought it was, like, okay then. So I was like, oh, shit. I'm in for some... <laughs> I'm in trouble then for that. Yeah. And that's the, whole, that's the whole thing I was thinking. I was like, usually, like, if I thought a movie was awesome, I might be a little harsher on it now or whatever. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or still like it a lot. But if I was, like, curious about a movie then... I mean, I probably last saw it when I was, like, 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. I knew I was probably not in for, you know, a big surprise here. Um, but, yeah, go to learn... I just... I just it, again, I think it goes back to you said it's a really weak year. I think it must have been a weak year for China too, for this to even be their submission, um, because you know you get, they get the choice of one submission, yeah. right? And then for that to somehow make our, like, I don't understand what the Academy was looking for in a movie that this was nominated for best. Like, I get it. Like, no, no, no. You know what? I don't get it because the one thing that I can see as this being separated from other movies of its nature was that it was like a it was like a classic story a classic chinese story like you know brought to the modern times like you know they don't make them like this anymore Mm -hmm. but then there's this added fantasy element where for some reason they can like float straight up fly in a lot of cases sure fly yeah they like glide everywhere yeah so they glide up to roofs and they run across roofs and they glide onto trees and there's the most ridiculous fight scene in a tree I that you've ever, love that scene. I was going to say what you ever imagined, but you wouldn't imagine you it. You wouldn't imagine it. stupid. That. I think that scene's cool. No, it belongs in like Planet of the Apes, not fucking Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, I'm sorry. Like, you thought when they were like bending back and forth on the trees and fighting each other that was interesting? Yeah, I did. Oh my God. I thought, I think you're being a little bit unfair to it. I do think that the story made little to no sense. Yeah. I think that there was, they were trying to cram too much stuff in there. But yeah. I think all of the fight scenes were incredible. Okay, so okay, they weren't all incredible because I really have to disagree with you about the trees thing. I, I that le- love that ridiculous. I thought that scene was so cool. Like the thing is, like, when have you ever seen a fight scene like that? They did something completely but new. That's the thing is, they did, and then I was like, I never needed to see a fight scene like that. I think that's whereas, scene like, is you're really right. I enjoyed everything else. I enjoyed the stuff in the town. I enjoyed the stuff in the cave and I enjoyed the stuff in, you know, in the desert. I did enjoy all those scenes, all those mm-hmm. fight scenes. I really did. But that was like the most uninteresting thing in the world to me. See, and like when and I was talking about like so much, but. scenes that like stuck with me, like I saw this, I know I saw this movie in theater. So I was like mm-hmm. 10 or 11 or whatever. But like, um, like that fight scene in the trees is the only thing I remember about this movie. But it's not even that long. Like you're- I know, but it like stuck with me because I think it's so cool. The way they're like bending right, back baby, and forth. We're just going to agree like, to disagree. Regardless, the only reason this movie made any kind of notable foot is because of this fantasy element. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's like 15 minutes of the movie at most. The rest, you're right, is all just talking and deals with some class things, and but not even in an interesting way. Yeah. Uh, the, the most interesting thing actually about the movie was I, I did enjoy that love story element. Which one? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, good, <laughs> good one. You're right. No, the one between, um, you know, whatever, and what's his name, Low. Okay, the, the desert Lowe. dude. Yeah. yeah, all that. I actually really enjoyed that. I did. I, re- I enjoyed it. It was weird that it was like this whole separate story. Yeah, plot it was in the like a half an hour of like ha- something yeah. completely different to just have like at the end. You know, he's there's a they need to finish. They need to close that relationship up. I don't know. And let me tell you, I did not understand a single thing about that ending. Did she kill herself? Like, what was that? What? 
when she jumped off the cliff yeah well because they're just like and then just there's like a flew. thing about the wishes and but they never saw him again so yes she literally died obviously i know but like she can fly so i was just like so confused no i know I maybe, don't she, maybe she just wanted to disappear from ever from 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 any life she currently was living Right. And start anew somewhere else. Maybe. She should because she made poor choices. I don't care at the end of the... You know what I mean? I sure. wasn't trying to find something else to invest in this movie at this point. I understand. I will say, again, feminist check. I loved that there were two strong female characters in this and they were pretty much the protagonists. Yeah. And also the sure. villain was a female as well. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I mean, I this, love that. This was three leading ladies with like two supporting guys. Yeah. It really was. So I liked that. I th- and I mean, I loved when the women were fighting. Like, the fight between those two women is probably one of the best fights in there, yeah. too. You oh, know? absolutely. Like, they were doing great. So that's the best scene in the movie, in my opinion. The scene where they're fighting? Yeah. Yeah. I do like that scene a lot. And I think that the performances were pretty good. You know, you were talking about how the, the different nationalities of shock a lot upset you? Yeah. Apparently, in China, people were super pissed because all of the leads, none, like, so... Um, they were speaking Cantonese, but then like one of them actually spoke uh, Mandarin or maybe it's the other way. I don't know. But like one of them spoke the other one. So he had to learn the other one. And then like the other one of them was Malaysian. So she had to learn to speak Chinese for this. And then the other one was from so Beijing. Were like, like all of them apparently had different accents. None and none of like none of them had the same accent. They were well, all different a, it's accents. It's a big country. I know, but like, I guess they were. I guess people in China were very. No, no, I, hey, I get it. You know, especially because whatever the location is in the movie, you know what I mean. I get, right. I, I get it. That's that's being. I mean, because I feel like if I was watching like some movie that took place in Alabama and people were talking with like Minnesota accents, I'd be like, "What is this?" Was you know, it, well, that makes and that makes me ask the question: Was this movie always meant to appeal to more of a global audience than? I mean, I want. Yeah, I don't know. I because that's what it feels like. It feels like it was trying to do some extra shit. That it didn't need, in my opinion. You know, I don't know. I do. I mean, like, it put Ang Lee on the map. Like, it certainly, like, helped his career. And what are we thankful of that for? Brokeback Mountain. Okay, you're right. He did make it. Yeah, that's a really good movie. Damn. I'm really mad that you said that. Because there's other... <laughs> okay, and I haven't seen Life of Pi, so I, I no. don't want to necessarily comment on that. But he it he has not contributed much, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> but he is still a director that has name recognition and he, does, and and he, he wouldn't and without he this does, movie and i respect him because he does interesting stuff and i would include this in there because he probably took you know physical fight scenes to a whole nother domain i don't know how they did the stuff they did so i will give him credit for that he's always trying to do something different and i do mm-hmm. respect him for that i just at the end of the day if he didn't exist i didn't i don't know what i'd really miss besides you're right a great movie celebrating um gay culture um, I didn't read to you my fun facts about this movie yet. You ready? Spit them. So um, it was based on the fourth novel of a in a series of books. Oh wow! Um, I gonna ma- I'm sorry Just for my pronunciation, it but it's Wuxia, which I believe is translated to to kung fu. Like that's what it means. Okay. So it's like a kung fu series called Crane Iron Pentology. It's based on the fourth okay, book. Based on that. books. Uh, the film led to a boost in popularity of Chinese kung fu films in the Western world. Um, and led to films such as House of Flying Daggers and Hero, marketed towards Western oh, yeah. audiences. Yeah, that was huge. Hero is huge. Uh, I, I more appreciated Kung Fu Hustle, but that's we would have never gotten that if it wasn't for this movie. I do realize that, and I appreciate it. I feel like you're being sarcastic. Right I'm now. not being okay. sarcastic. No, I promise you. Um, I promise. Like okay. We wouldn't have gotten Kung Fu Hustle if it wasn't for this movie. Yeah. This became the first foreign language film. Which to is earn- a far better film, by the way. I, do, I mean, I'm not, I'm not just saying that. 
I mean, I haven't seen it. I can't speak to that. Um, this became the first foreign language film to earn over $100 million in the United States. Damn. I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah, it, it did really well over here. Cool. Um, I mean, my grandparents saw it, and that's saying something for them. So, <laughs> um, This is my favorite thing that I've ever read. The first draft of the screenplay said this, quote, you will know in the script that none mm. of the fight scenes are described, and I will just inform you now that they will be the greatest fight scenes ever in the history of cinema, period. End quote. Damn. It's confidence. Yeah. I just love that they're like, I'm not going to explain to you what these fight scenes are. Just know that they will be glorious. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, yeah. So, Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 86%. Critics score of 97%. Um, there's no American Film Institute rankings, but it was ranked number 497 on, Empire's mag- on Empire Magazine's 2008 list of the 500 greatest movies and number 66 on their 2010 list of the 100 best films of world cinema. Cool. Um, and at the box office, it made $213.5 million. Wow. That's just U.S. probably too, right? No, I think that's... No way. You think that's just U.S.? Probably. No, okay. I could be wrong. I don't know. I said it made over 100 oh, in yeah, the so, U.S. Yeah. So then it's got to be more globally. That's crazy. That's true. That's more. true. That's true. In China, I'm sure it said really... Well, I don't yeah. know. They were upset about those accents. Oh, yeah. That's true. How upset? You know? Uh, they probably still saw it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were upset afterwards. <laughs> yeah. After they saw it, they were after like, they what was this? Yeah. Are you ready to talk about the winner... Of the 2001 Academy Awards. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm ready to be done talking about Crouching Tiger. So if that leads us to... Gladiator. Then I guess that's fine. Okay. Gladiator. When a Roman general is betrayed and his family <laughs> murdered... why are you suddenly putting effort into these synopsis? This is the winner. We have to care. <laughs> <laughs> when a Roman general is betrayed and his family murdered by an emperor's corrupt son... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to have to keep starting over. All right, I'm done. <clears throat> Go. When a Roman general is betrayed in his family. <laughs> oh, let's edit all this out. Okay. When a Roman general is betrayed in his family, murdered by an emperor's corrupt son, he comes to Rome as a gladiator to seek revenge. Hell yeah. And that is a perfect synopsis of this film. Yeah. It's really just really sums it right up. Yep. It's a revenge movie in skirts. Don't say skirts. What are they wearing? They're not, it's not, I'm sure it's not called a skirt. I'll tell you that. No, it's called something in Roman. Yeah, but it's 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 not. You're actually, you're giving you're giving it like a oh they're 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 being feminine or something. It's, I would never say that in an insulting way. So I don't know why you would say that. That's just the way you said it. You're like yeah in skirts, and it's just like that's not how I meant You didn't it need at all. to say it. You didn't need to say it because they but were I wasn't also in saying like, it like they that. They were also in like armor, but you didn't say they're in armor. You're just like in skirts. That's not at all how I said that it. That is, ex- well, you sh- you didn't need to say in skirts if you didn't imply that. They I were think doing you're it. the one just like putting all this masculine like toxic energy no. onto what I said. No, I and think just like I think you just didn't enjoy the movie, and you're like, well, he wears a skirt the whole time. I did enjoy the movie. Don't try to assume how I feel oh, about Gladiator. Oh. Don't assume. You have no idea. You did not about need to film. say he was wearing a skirt. But I didn't say I was not saying it in a derogatory way. I was just making a lighthearted joke <laughs> that they oh. were wearing weird little loinclothy things. Okay. Because they were. They were. As Don't. Spaniards did. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a movie where different nationalities <laughs> 
are portraying other nationalities. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's. Here's the thing, though, that I will say about that is that I do like that it's stuck to the, like, old Hollywood rules of, like, Romans have English accents, Greeks have sure. this accent, like, the lower class people have Irish accents or, like, that sort of thing. Well, you like that in what way, though? I like that they didn't try to, like, make them authentic, but they did stick with what the audience has come to accept is this is what Romans sounded like because old that's Hollywood such, that's did such it. a fine line to walk because does that mean it's okay? Like, we, you know. Well, I'm not, I mean, I don't care as much for a movie like this. Like, I care in, like, because, I mean, they're Rome, like, whatever. I don't. Romans were still, like, white. Do you know what I mean? So I don't have, like, as much of a problem as, like, when you're saying, oh, gods of Egypt, and it's a bunch of white dudes because people in Egypt were not white. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, So, like, fine. I don't want people speaking Latin. You know what I mean? I don't want to watch a movie in Latin. So I don't have a problem. And I do think, like, obviously it was a conscious choice because Russell Crowe was not English and he was using an English accent. So, I mean. Yeah. He wasn't using his own. But he's playing own. Spanish. He's playing Spaniard. I don't think he was actually supposed to be. Sp- I think that was just like a nickname, wasn't it? No, I'm pretty sure it's because he was from Spain, right? Oh, I didn't think so. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I thought that he that was just like I thought he was Roman, but they called him the Spaniard because man, I mean maybe he was Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean maybe that's still white though, so I don't have like. No, no, no. I know that's true. That's very true. But you're right. No, no, no. It's just it was the typical. You're right. It was the old Hollywood way yeah. of doing things. And I mean, like if you're gonna make an old school like epic yeah old yeah. Like, ancient world movie then stick to what people you know what i mean like i feel like it's just a shorthand that you have with the audience like this is what well, we've come did, to. did anybody in 2000 say this was whitewashing i mean no or anything absolutely not no and it's not really it's not really. again no, they're no, white no, people it's like, not it's it's still a common thing like we almost have to do today just to make a movie sell like i get it like gods of egypt never had to come out like let's be honest that was never a movie they were like we have to do this. It'll make a ton of money. It did neither of those things. Yeah. It, it did neither of those things. <laughs> it was just offensive at that point. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Whereas, like, this was still made in an age where, I mean, not to say people weren't offended because I'm sure they were, but it wasn't an issue. and Or it wasn't, sorry, it's not that an issue. It wasn't as raised of an issue as it is now. And it's something we need to keep on our minds, you know, after the fact. Because, to be truthful, they probably just, like, let stuff like this go over them all the time. No one stood up, you know. No one stood up and said anything, or if they did, they were shunned by something else or whatever. You know what I mean? Sure. It's a, obviously terrible circumstance, but it's just the Hollywood system and what sells. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I feel like everybody is a little bit more conscious, and that's that's it's, good. It's a great world we live in. Yeah. You want to know some fun facts about Gladiator? About what? Gladiator. About what? Gladiator. Sure. Uh, the script had a lot of issues. <laughs> did it? According to Russell Crowe, they began filming with only 32 pages locked. In the end, three writers are credited, and Crowe claims that he, the other actors, and Ridley Scott all contributed ad-libbing while shooting. An unexpected post-production job was caused by the death of Oliver Reed of a heart attack during the filming in Malta before all his scenes had been shot. Um, the post-production, the like special effects team created a digital body double for the remaining season involving his character proximo that's crazy by photographing a live action body double in the shadows and then mapping a three-dimensional computer generated imagery mask of reed's face to the remaining scenes um during production at an estimated cost of 3.2 million for two minutes of additional footage no shit they just didn't know what they were doing at the time i'm sure 
I mean, the fact that they could even do, although I wonder if he wasn't supposed to die in that scene and then they just had to kill him because they couldn't afford to like keep putting, that might be true. you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it might be true. But he definitely went out like a hero. Um, yeah. Which is great because he's one of the redeeming characters of the whole piece. Mm-hmm. Um, damn, that's crazy. Ridley Scott has been considering a sequel since 2001. As of March 2017, Scott again stated that he has an idea of how a sequel could be done and that he is currently trying to convince Russell Crowe to reprise his role as Max. Hell Maximus. yeah, dude. How? He has to go back. He's dead. To Earth. I know. I know, right? He's got to fight a god to get back to Earth. I don't know. I'm just trying to... I just... That fact just astounded me. Because I was like, he's not alive at the end of that movie. What I like about... Why are we reading facts already? Doesn't this come at the end? No, no it's supposed to come before. I just forgot to do it. Oh, that's the last okay. one. <laughs> you know, what I... Actually, the thing I really do like about this movie, and I like about Ridley Scott's career in general right now, is I do like how much he is dealing with, like, the gods. He does... Yeah, religion. Why, are, why we're here what's after and that is one thing i don't think i liked about this movie back in the day and i loved about this movie today Mm -hmm. so i just wanted to say that real quick go but continue with your facts those are all the facts that i had oh good um what are your feelings about this movie i really enjoyed it did you? i really did because you yeah. weren't that excited when we were gonna sure watch it wasn't and i fell asleep for a minute too but i made you rewind without you i was like oh i need to see that again it's just because i dozed off do you remember that now such a jerk. i was like oh wait i need to see that shot again it was like literally because i fell asleep for like two seconds but uh no, no no but then i woke up after this uh i think I, that was my last day of school i had a few beers in my system oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you recall correctly yeah um but uh yeah i really enjoyed it uh again i had the benefit of seeing uh ridley scott's alien covenant recently too mm-hmm. and again just like i just said earlier his interest in what else is there and uh how that plays into this story hit me on an emotional level i don't remember ever feeling with with gladiator before about the loss of his family mm-hmm. and uh the purpose of getting back to them um but i mean it ha- like this movie's not perfect by any means i think the pacing is a little off i the think pacing it's, is terrible. i think it's far too long and yet uh, it leaves out so much yeah um but i did enjoy the relationships in it mm-hmm. um i enjoyed the acting enough yeah i actually didn't think russell crowe was terrible he wasn't terrible, but I wouldn't consider him an Oscar-award-winning-worthy like, performance. True. That, I will say, that is that is absolutely for sure. But at the same time, I never was like, oh, it's Russell Crowe. I really believe, I was with I was with that character. Well, that he doesn't time. look like the Russell Crowe we know today. Well, that's true, that's true. <laughs> but I mean, I was with him. I believed him as his character, yes. Maximus. Uh, he did fine. I, I also I, don't think that role wondering. requires much of no, the it actor. Doesn't. This is an action movie at the... Mm-hmm. At its best, um, with some great, some great performances, like the the Caesar who dies. I thought he was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, early Joaquin Phoenix, for all that matters. Yeah. Like how he got a role this large, it's kind of weird actually. Now that I think about it, it's just this was pretty early in his. Because he's great. He is like he fucking is, man. Sorry, I just I for years I had to defend him, and now finally people are like back on the Joaquin train, and it feels so good. Mm-hmm. Feels good, and I think this is really going to be a good year for him. Um, I think with Lynn, Lynn Ramsey's new movie, he's getting a lot of good press out of it. And mm-hmm. He's got to kind of reshape his image. After he does. Thing. He's got some work to do. He made a ba- he made a bad choice. Hey, we all do. Let's be real. We don't. I mean, we don't all take like two years off to fucking be a rapper, but for for no purpose. I wish no, I could. No, no, no real purpose. Yeah, I would love to. You know what? You're right. It'd be fun. Sounds and great. that's probably what he thought too. Right. He's like, you know what? Well, 
I haven't seen a lot of good scripts past my desk lately. I'm just going to like do something weird. Mm-hmm. And maybe something great of it. Something great didn't come of it, but something like pretty fun came out of it. Sure. Honestly, the movie I'm 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 not there. I'm not there. I'm still here. I, I was think, with those two confused. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm still not here. there. I think it's the Bob Dylan one. Yeah, it's, I'm still okay. here. I'm still here. I think it could have been fantastic. It was pretty good. It was fun. I haven't seen it. But what I was gonna say about Gladiator. Oh yeah. This kind of like goes into that. Is I think that it is Gladiator. Gladiator. It is like a fine revenge action film mm-hmm. like fine cool some cool fight scenes i guess like everyone does a decent job i think the one and only thing that catapults this movie to being anywhere close to great is walking phoenix i think that his performance as the villain no here's the thing though he's so ter- like that character you just like hate him so much yeah no, that's true. That it makes you just be like, yeah, just fucking kill yeah. him. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's what drives it. And you're like right there with Russell Crowe just being like, yes. yeah, this guy's the worst. I, like, I agree. You're right. The things he does, but his, but his performance, Joaquin really gets into that role. He's so good. And even though he's like the most despicable human being, there are still also times when you kind of like feel bad for him. Like the whole thing with his dad, like yeah i did feel bad for him it's you know believable what I mean? like, yeah like the thing is it's like it's all real like and that's why i think his performance like you can see the hurt that he has then the hurt that is what's actually driving yeah. like his terrible terrible actions like like honestly there's situations like we just watched that mommy whatever what's it called mommy dad and dearest mommy dad and dearest and we feel so much empathy for that girl who basically had her mom killed but because mm-hmm. she lived in this trapped environment, was forced to do all these crazy things or whatever. Mm-hmm. In a way, I'm not saying it's near, it's the same thing at all. But right. like Joaquin Phoenix, you give that same kind of empathy to because you're like, I can't imagine what it's like to be in in his shoes, in shoes he can never fill. Well, yeah. being the son, being not the son that this guy always wanted, mm-hmm. but being himself. Well, and here's the thing, too, that I was, like, thinking, too, though, while you're watching. It's like, he's like, oh, you didn't turn out the way I would have wanted and blah, blah, I'm like, well, who raised him? Like, of course he's not as tough as Maximus or whatever because, like, he was raised poor and he had to fight for what he had. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this kid was a freaking prince. Or how, so, of course he's not going to have the or same how strength. how much was Caesar around? Where was right. mom's? What was mom's role in the picture? So, it's like, it's that, like, you thing where it's like, yeah, your kid didn't turn out well, but, like, why you not, should take some of that responsibility. Yeah, exactly. So, there's almost this empathy, but the... But it's, then he's so terrible. But then he, yeah, he is. And you're like, he, just he, like, kill him. Fuck his sister. It's like a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Ooh. Which we should be used to now with Game of Thrones. But but, uh, but that's like creep like I, Jamie I think you said and that, her both into it. I think you said, oh, by the way, Jordan and I saw a guy look just like Joffrey the other day. I felt Ugh. so bad for this kid. That's anyway, unfortunate. It doesn't matter. Um, you said that what propels this movie from being okay to great is Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. I think what makes this movie Oscar worthy mm-hmm. other than joaquin phoenix Mm -hmm. um and very similar to crouching tiger is something else it did and it had fantastic graphics from the time yes i mean those those they still hold up stuff i know it's not that old but like it looked pretty good it mm -hmm. really did um the Coliseum, yes. the people in the Coliseum. that's true the fact that they didn't have the thirty thousand extras i don't think this was a great movie no i think it was a good movie that did something different and new much like crouching tiger hindra i said that was a bad movie that did something new but (laughs) i'm just kidding well here's a question i know i'm being harsh but which between crouching tiger and gladiator 
which had the better fights. That's see, that's arguable. I enjoyed Gladiators more, but I thought there was I thought Crouching Tiger is more like artfully beautiful. Yeah, if that makes sense. I really didn't. And I'm not saying I liked the gore, mm-hmm. but like there were some just like fuck yeah moments in Gladiator, and whereas like Crouching Tiger is like oh that's cool or that's pretty or you know right right neat. there was like no almost no blood no yeah, yeah 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 didn't need it either no I would say that the fights in Crouching Tiger were much better okay because I think they were just m- more intricate exactly I think that it's it's really apples and oranges and so it's uh, to me mm. I can't really compare well, the two the Academy decided to compare the two films so <laughs> well, why can't okay we? well I think they chose the right one so. <laughs> <laughs> all right um so yeah like that's what like gladiator i think it's fine i don't know again like i think it was just kind of a weak year so i don't really like yeah. I, I see why this is the kind of movie that would get nominated for an oscar i guess um yeah i think it yeah it's a historical totally epic. i mean like those yeah. definitely have a history of being nominated but again i think the only like thing that like if joaquin phoenix wasn't in it i don't think there'd be any reason that it would be great Cool. And I don't even know if I can call it great now. So, I mean. I really like that reason. I haven't heard that perspective. So, I appreciate it. Uh, do you have anything else to say you want me to tell you? Really? Give me the numbers. All right. Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 87%. Critic score of 76%. AFI rankings. Uh, General Maximus Decimus Meritus was voted the number 50 hero. Um, and then it was nominated for best quotes. For the whole father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I'll have my vengeance in this life or the next. And it was nominated for Best Film Scores, 100 Cheers, and Anniversary Edition, and then the top, the 10 top 10 for under the category of epics. But it did not make any of those. And the box office, it made $457.6 million, And of course, it was the number two movie of the year. Excellent. So yeah, so those were the five films that were nominated. Um, out of the five nominated films, which do you think should have won? Traffic. I would agree with that. Ensemble piece. Yeah. Dealing with the current climate, a current problem, I mm-hmm. should say, not only in the U.S., but globally to an extent. Um, but again, as far as editing goes, cinematography, performances, direction, um, story, I I don't see how this movie lost out as best picture yeah like from what i'm doing like saw in the research it really seemed like a lot of people were like oh this is kind of a weak year but it just was coming down to gladiator and traffic and it was like a coin flip is what it sounded like in a lot of stuff i was reading did i say traffic by the way and all that yeah okay (laughs) i thought i might have just like said all these things about traffic but not said traffic like what movie is he talking about yeah no yeah um i would agree i think traffic was definitely the best out of those five um but wait. But. There's more. Um, But now we need to talk about some other notable films that came out. Because one of my favorite films of all time came out in the year 2000. What movie is that? We'll get to it in a minute. But okay. some other notable films are Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. Which um, the lady who played the mom, who Ellen Burstyn, was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, that's good, actually. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Like, her part is the only part of that movie I like. Um, A Brother Where Out Thou. Okay. Which I really thought they didn't have a song that was nominated. Weren't those original songs or no? I thought so, yeah. I just thought they would have had a song that was nominated. They didn't? I thought they played like the Oscars. I thought they did too. I don't know. Um, Memento. 
Castaway, Billy Elliot, American Psycho. And then it's one of my favorite movies, which for the longest time I did call my favorite movie. But now I don't have a favorite movie anymore. But now you're a cinema snob. But so. now I'm all like, I can't ever pick just one. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this would be in my top three for sure. Oh, what are the other two? Um, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, and Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> <laughs> it might be in your top two then. It might be in my top two. <laughs> uh, the film we're talking about is Almost Famous by yes. Cameron Crowe. Which is, this is my, this is not IMDb's synopsis, this is mine. Thank God. Because their synopsis would be like, there's a band and a plane. I don't know what their <laughs> synopsis would be. But like. A young boy journalist follows his favorite band. Yeah. For Rolling Stone magazine. That's a good synopsis. No? Well, it's not true, though, at the same time. Well, yeah. It's not his favorite band. No, but he likes them. Yeah. Too much is the problem. Yeah. Too, you're right. Too much. Too much. They're not his real friends. No. But they, do, they kind of become his real friends. They do. It's a coming of age story about young in 1970s. 73. 73. Um, rock and roll. Going on tour. Meeting fun people. And learning about life. But uh, it is very much a coming of age movie. And I think like the reason that I love it so much is that I saw it. Um, I didn't see it in theaters. But I saw it later on tape. So it's probably like 12 or 13. And I just think that it hit me you know, when I was coming of age, you know what I yeah, mean? Like literally. that time in my life. And so I just think that this movie is the one that like I associate, like I watched it so many times just like growing up. And so I associate it a lot with like my adolescence and all of that. And I think it's hard to like even break up. Like I, my dad is like a huge music person. So I listened to seventies rock, like growing up and I was into it, but I think also like this movie had a lot to do with that was the music that I listened to. Yeah. Like all through high school, I was all about the who and it set you free. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually listened to Tommy with a candle. Burning. I should try that. You you See, haven't? No. I, just, I figured for sure you did. That. I don't like candles. I should. Like, okay. I mean, I've listened to Tommy. I'm just saying I haven't like lit a candle and seen my she's, future. She's a lighter. Use a, a grill. Lighter. Just hold a lighter <laughs> while I listen to Tommy. <laughs> uh, but no, I just think and I mean, it was weird, too, when I was watching, you know, I wanted to be Penny Lane so bad. Like, uh, like I was bought. You wanted to be a groupie? I did. Like, honestly, I did. Like, you know, like. You were supposed to. Oh, so band she's a band-aid. Yeah. She's just there for the music. Oh, I set you up. Sorry. <laughs> no, but like, honestly. You just like, admitted to wanting to be a groupie. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I wanted to be a teenage groupie in the 70s. That's not weird. <laughs> no, yeah. Which eventually, like, I've read so many books, like, by groupies. Yeah. At this point too, which I mean, like, I'm still. You're pretty obsessed. I'm like really I'm worried that a rock like band will come person. through town and then I'll never see you again. <laughs> no, I just feel like the thing is like too, like I only care about it like in the 70s. I feel like now it's like creepy, but like back then there's like a romanticism to it, even though like it's not because they were literally like it's 13 not, year old girls. But it's that's the, a different story. It's the romanticism of of putting like the pet it's it's in the past when i think too because like at the time no one was like this is romantic <laughs> no but i think the difference too is that like nowadays like oh the bands now whatever but you're talking about bands from the 70s those are iconic people you're talking about well yeah jimmy page or like robert plant or like mick well, jagger yeah. like those are icons they're not bands you really got to know like you would get to know a band now with the like, with social, social media, media presence yeah. constant magazines and interviews where like back then it was only a few magazines and maybe they got a paper right up 
Right. Do you know what I mean? And like they had they, a lot more control over their images. Easy, and stuff. exactly. Which is what most of this movie's about. Yes. Um, but yeah, I would I would absolutely have to agree with that. They 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 were, it was easier to rise to a legendary or an iconic status than because you could yeah easily control what got out who you were mm-hmm. what you did there was a mystique a mystery to everything i think that's very true i think in the same way there aren't movie stars now the way that there were yeah. in the studio system because of that same kind of thing there aren't ever going to be rock stars the way there were rock stars no yeah and also rock and roll like i remember watching as a kid when they're talking about rock and roll is dead, blah blah and i'm like that's so silly because it's not but now i'm like it is it kinda, like it that really was is. the death knell of rock yeah. and roll it's not it the what death he, of really yeah a whole era like, yeah i would absolutely have to agree with that it's just not the publicists have a totally different job these days yeah before they they wrote stories they almost had a craft yeah like a novelist you know what i mean and now it's just like oh we gotta we gotta put a lid on this or we have to we have fix it's this all just like how many followers can you get yeah oh this person has a lot out. of followers so now you date this person and then you'll double your followers and- <laughs> sure sure I don't know. It's just a totally different world now. But yeah, definitely a great coming in. <laughs> and two, like you said the things about your dad and the music or whatever, but like, don't be modest. Like you're very much an aspiring writer, much like that's what I, I was wouldn't say journalism, to, yeah. but that was a phase in your life, journalism. Mm-hmm. Regardless though, writing in general, which this movie very much focuses you on know, a writer. Yeah. And I do think like, you know, I was saying like I wanted to be Penny Lane so bad, but like watching, you know, yeah, I, the character I related to was William, the kid on the outside who wants to be these people, wants to be friends with you these are. people, and you know what I mean. Like that's what I wanted. That's who. And I mean, that's obviously like who you're supposed to relate to well, in yeah. this movie. But, but no, but you did more so, and I think you mm-hmm. were in love with Penny Lane, just right. like he was. Which I think that's why I also think Kate Hudson did deserve the Oscar because I mean, she she makes you fall in love with her in that movie. There are some there are some key moments in that movie where she doesn't say a word. Yes. But tells you everything. Yes. It makes me so sad that she's never made another movie that has like utilized the obvious talent that she has. You know what I mean? Like, I How just, to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Right. I mean, she's good in that movie. I'm just saying that. Like, <laughs> no, I, I, I know what you're saying. She could be so much. She could be in much better things is my problem. But honest, no, her problem is she like that is her iconic role. Yeah. And it was like her. One of her it was first. her first. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a rarity, but it happened and she's never going to be able to surpass it. Like, sorry, no. but it's okay because she goes down and like, I still love her cinema so history much with that just role. because she was in this movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I like, I have like a love for everyone that was in this movie that like, isn't like measurable to other things that they've done in the rest of their career. Yeah. Like I still get so excited when I see Patrick Fuja is in a movie. Oh, sure. You, you get excited very rarely, rarely. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like glad. when he showed up in gone girl i was like yeah that was so weird okay. <laughs> it was weird but clearly I was like, like fincher caught almost famous on cable like late one night it's like, just what's, like he what's, he what's he doing, doing? <laughs> yeah you know we have this role we haven't filled yet uh-huh and uh i mean that's also what started my love of philip seymour hoffman which has set me off sure. on watching many many great films oh sure obviously this is only like a small blip in his career really he's filled with talent but he's so great and um you know i told you i was like you should when we're watching the movie you have to guess which scene i posted on facebook after he died Mm -hmm. she didn't guess but do you want to try to guess the last one i don't know yeah but it's that scene and that's like my favorite scene in the entire movie and i think it like completely sums up 
why I love the movie, but it's at the end when he, when William's trying to write the story and he calls up Lester Banks and he's saying, I can't do it. And he's like, yeah, you became friends with him. They made you believe that you were cool, but you're not cool. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that whole conversation about being uncool, like I relate to that more than like anything else in a movie that I've ever seen in a like deep way. Do you know what I mean? Like the line where he says, um, you don't think you're cool. I don't think I'm cool. When he says like, um, he's like, I'm glad you were home. He says, I'm always home. I'm uncool. Yeah. And he's like, me too. But I'm like that. I mean, that honestly does like describe a lot of my adolescence. Like I spent so much time home alone, just like watching movies and TV, like yeah. reading. Cause you found other things interesting. Right. But I'm saying like, you know what I mean? I just like loved like, it he though. He found records interesting. And he was also like, he didn't fit in. He was younger than any of his possible friends. Yeah. I just love that scene. I love it. I love that movie. But I'm, I need you to be objective and talk about this movie because I cannot be objective and talk about the movie. Well, yeah, let me be objective. Um, I think it is just like with, uh, what's her name now? I can't think of her name. Penny Lane, who plays her? Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. Just as with Kate Hudson's, like this being her one role, I think this will forever be uh, Cameron Crowe's yeah. seminal movie. Um, which also it's like one of his most personal movies too it's like based on his absolutely. life absolutely uh maybe next to elizabeth town um <laughs> sorry bad joke <laughs> uh this is the fact that this movie was not celebrated more yeah is beyond me um i think it's probably loved with more passion than any of these other movies we've talked about today mm-hmm. um not by you but by many others yeah. It may not be like on as many lists of best movies, but I think there's so much passion behind the people who do really enjoy this and the people that do connect in a way. And it, it it's definitely one of the best coming of age movies that has that has, I've ever seen. Um, no, I can't disagree with your choice more. I really think I'm shocked that this was not on the list of best picture nominations, especially when a movie like how I felt about how, okay crouching tiger was actually mm-hmm. i didn't say that was okay i said it was bad but you did. <laughs> but there just like wasn't a lot of great stuff to choose from this year and i don't know why that wasn't amongst them yeah when it's it very much deservingly so great just like traffic like i mean great direction great soundtrack uh great i think visually it's beautiful like i wrote a paper about john's hole and like used this yeah. movie a lot it, it, i mean it is it, it, it captures the decade in, in a non it uses mostly the color palette mm-hmm. which is perfect rather than like degrading the footage or anything right. like that um yeah i mean the the cast of characters the the ensemble is just incredible mm-hmm. incredible billy crudup is he's great he's next level even fucking Mr. Crazy himself, Jason. Jason Lee. Jason Lee, like, just gives such a powerful performance as empathetic lead singer, you know. And mm-hmm. I was, I was with him. I hated Russell when he hated Russell. You know what I mean? Yeah. I loved Russell when he loved Russell. You know, it was you're very much with him on his ride. He was never a bad guy, you know. And mm-hmm. oh, you just get it, you get inserted into these people's lives like it's like you're with them on this tour and this movie does so much more than maybe a lot of people give it credit for. And I, I, I truly, I'm with you. I know I'm supposed to be objective, but <laughs> I, I honestly do think this is one of the best movies, not only of 2000, but yeah. this century. Um, 
I can't say enough. I can't say enough. Yeah. No, I think it's, um, I think it's strange that it wasn't nominated, but I do think too, like at the time it was considered strange that it wasn't nominated too. And it did win. It did win for best original screenplay. Okay. So it did get that, which is kind of like, I which feel like not to crow too. Yeah. They give like the screenplay awards kind of like as a consolation sometimes like, Oh, yeah. you're not going to get anything else, but here's this. So it did win that. Um, I feel like I read you in that same USA Today article that I quoted talking about Miramax's promotion of Chocolat and blah, blah, blah. Like they also kind of alluded in that article that a lot of people felt like Chocolat was taking almost famous's Yeah, spot. and that's what I meant. Actually, I was kind of forgetting that movie when I was referring yeah. to, to Crouching Tiger. But yeah, that comparatively, that movie had no right to be on that list. Right, exactly. And um. In the article, though, they also do point out that DreamWorks promoted Gladiator and Almost Famous more aggressively than Mary Max promoted Chocolat. So, like, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Maybe DreamWorks was putting more behind Gladiator and Almost Famous didn't get as much. I well, don't know. I'm but. actually glad to hear that it was kind of upset at the time because yeah. it does honestly also just feel like one of those movies that might have been missed when it came out. It won the Golden but Globe. But then really picked up. Mm-hmm. speed and dvd release or vhs whatever you know what i mean like, right no i think at the time it was kind of a shock that it wasn't nominated and it won the golden globe but that's because the golden globes categorized it as a comedy or musical and not a drama yeah which is playing it fast and loose with the term musical of course yeah but. and I, you know and i i do want to point it out because um it's very much an element of this movie in general but I don't think it's something we should be upset about because like this movie and so many other great movies, it doesn't matter that it was, wasn't made for the critics or that it did, it did well critically because it's truly for fans. Aww. Like I, I know I'm not, I'm not trying to make a joke of it cause I don't think it is a joke. No, I know. It just like plays but so perfectly movie, into the movie. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, this movie is just, it's such a personal movie. Mm-hmm. You obviously said it, it can, it's personal from Cameron Crowe. Um, I think it resonates with the individuals who watch it personally. And I think that's what makes it so great. That's what makes coming of age movies so great in general. Cause right. It transports you back to a place or time or affects you. Um, you know, you watched it. You, like you said, you watched it at a perfect time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think so. I don't think it's like, I don't think we need to get upset about it because I think this is, you know, more of people's favorite movie than any of the other movies that were nominated for Best Picture. This movie yeah. matters to more people than, than any of those <laughs> other movies do. And that's what's important. And, mm-hmm. you know, even if it got someone introduced to movies or someone introduced to new music or whatever, you know, it did its job. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it made somebody realize, like, remember, like, wow, if they were that age at that time or, you know, what it was like to be alive. Like, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's what's like so great about cinema. Absolutely. I completely agree. That was well said. So with all the other notable films in mind, if you were redoing the nominations. I would take Chocolat or Crouching Tiger out and replace it with. You know, fuck it. I would take both of those movies out. I'd throw in Castaway and Almost Famous. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I would probably do the same. Just basing off the movies you read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Castaway is a fantastic movie. Castaway is great. Yeah. And again, yeah. it's just him by himself for like. Yeah. 98%. Perfect, it, and it's a perfect Oscar movie. Like, I don't care, you know, if, if he, I don't know if he was nominated or not. He probably was, I imagine. Yeah. Was, okay. But, like, Ron Howard did a great job directing. The score, Hans Zimmer, I believe, was, was great. Like, everything was – it's it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, Almost Famous certainly deserved to be amongst those. And then if it was nominated, what would win? 
What will win Best Picture? Yeah. I'd still say Traffic. I'm always the guy who... I like when my Best Picture reflects the time. And Almost Famous, I'm sorry, it doesn't reflect the time. It reflects all time because we've all been... (laughs) That kid, it's universal. No, I mean, I do agree with Baby, you know, you know, I, know. I agree with that. But I do like when my best picture reflects the time we're in. Gladiator certainly fucking doesn't. You've never had your family killed <laughs> by an up. evil emperor and then had to seek revenge yeah. by becoming a slave? What? You know what I mean. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that, that's, Traffic would still be my vote, though. I would, I love Almost Famous more than Traffic. So like, do you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Shitty answer, I know. But that's what I would go with. All was, right. If, if, I, I was, if I was putting money on it. Okay. Um, if I was doing it, yeah, I would probably do the same. I would take off Crouching Tiger and Shock a Lot, and I'd put on Almost Famous and Castaway. But I would have Almost Famous win. I, I totally understand. I do want to point out, though, based on what I just told you about, like, why I would pick Traffic. Yes. We do have, and I know you can't see it, audience, but we do have a mini Oscar on the bookshelf in our apartment because mm-hmm. I tend to win... I tend to pick who wins the Oscars better mm-hmm. than everyone else in Devin's family. Not best picture. You didn't get best picture, right? Does that matter? I'm just well, that's saying. That's what we're talking about. I'm just saying overall. We're not talking about how well you do at animated shorts. We're talking about <laughs> best picture. I'm just saying I know how to pick them. Generally. And when we talk about best sound mixing, oh you can God. pick the winners. All right. Are we, are we about done here? Yeah, we can wrap up. Uh, that was the 2001 Oscars. Um... We came in listening to Things Have Changed, performed by Bob Dylan from the film Wonder Boys, which won the best Oscar for best song. How could you forget? How could you forget? But we're going to go out. We're just, You know what? This episode is just a crazy episode. We're going out on a song that wasn't even nominated. Fuck it. Fever Dog by Stillwater. I'm on drugs! <laughs> Do you want to say something else? I thought you were going to say like, bye or something. All right. Well, join us next week. We're going to go back in time and double the amount of movies we're watching. Oh, shit. See you then. Bye. I dig movies.